Welcome back to the Ransom Tar Podcast, gang. John Eldridge here in uh, part two of a conversation with Alan Arnold about creativity, writing, artistry, chasing dreams. But the invitation is out of intimacy and through intimacy with God. And we're talking about Alan's new book, The Story of With, A Better Way to Live, Love, and Create. On page 119 is one of those moments, Alan, that you talked about the shift to with. And this one's entitled Take Heart. Her entire life, Mia has felt like she didn't quite fit in. No one shared her interests or understood her dreams. But then she discovers a place where kindred spirits passionately pursue the very things that make her come alive. Now her heart is being awakened. And so this is your opportunity. You're reflecting back on the allegory. You're reflecting back on the narrative. And this is you speaking to the reader for a moment. Yes. You're saying, this is exactly what she needs at this stage of her journey. We can't be fully present to God or others if our hearts have flatlined. That's why Scripture, Proverbs 4.23, tells us nothing is more important than protecting our hearts. And you go on to ask the reader, how is your heart doing? at this moment? Are you aware of the things you do each day that either numb or nurture your heart? If you can't name specific ways you are taking care of your heart, then it's probably in need of attention. Alan, when you were writing this, what was your big hope? The big hope was that it would be a way for people to see their life in a new way to see the invitation that God's given them through their passions and desires and to allow it to take them deeper into that because I really believe that is a doorway where they can experience greater intimacy with God through their longings and desires. And so I wanted to create a story where the reader would let their guard down, where it wouldn't be teaching material as much as it would be a story where they had to find out what happened next to Mia, and as they went with her on this journey, they started to see their own similarities, their own maybe ways of limiting their creativity or distancing themselves from God, even though they believe in God. Mm -hmm. And so that was my great hope was that by the end of the story, they would see their own story in a new way. That's so good. I mean, obviously, application way beyond those who want to become writers, though it is written uh, in hopes of helping people be more creative in their life. And I want to add, I don't like this about my life, but the truth is I don't have a lot of time to read. Most of my reading is either research for a book I'm writing or for a podcast we're doing, that sort of thing. But just pleasure reading usually waits for summer, right? Everybody's got their summer reading that they do. But this is a book that reads very easily. Like, it's playful, it's intriguing, the story structure of it. It's not like Pilgrim's Progress, but it's allegory like Pilgrim's Progress. And so it breathes easy. It's not a hard book to engage, not a hard book to get carried along with because of the way the story goes along. And you have the protagonist go through a number of stages to get to a place of freedom. Let's talk about some of those stages. In the allegory, Mia quickly finds herself on this journey. Her car stalls. She's on this back road, runs out of gas, finds herself walking because it's getting dark. 
And so quickly, her story takes a turn that she didn't expect. And she finds herself in this new story where nothing is quite what it seems. Mm. And she meets a woman named Iona, who is this mystical, um, beautiful, alluring person, but who really frustrates Mia and basically says, if you want to find answers, this is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to step into this surreal story. A new kind of story. new kind of story, right. Yeah. And so reluctantly, Mia says yes. And once she does that, she finds herself it's almost like in a Matrix-like setting. She's in this old brownstone. And in the brownstone, she has to go up the elevator. And there's four distinct glass vials that Iona has given her. And those four vials have to be filled, one at each level of the elevator. And when the elevator doors open, uh, it's not the second floor of the brownstone or the third floor. It could be the desert yeah. or the ocean that's that's yeah. pouring in on her. Yeah. And so she finds herself in a place where the rules no longer apply. Yeah. And she has to pursue what Iona's told her, and she has to try to figure out what those vials need, because until they're satisfied, she can't move on. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me pause you there, because what I thought was very, very helpful early in the book, the first couple of stages she needs to overcome is fear and control. Yes. And they are in the way. Right. Right? I just think that's really accurate to a lot of our lives. When we are in fear, which leads us to control, mm -hmm. right? To try and control our lives, control our circumstances, control other people. Right. Even try and control what God's doing in our lives. We are shut down. We are not open to what could happen. And the more we try to control, the smaller our story has to become. Yeah. Because there's very little we actually do control. And so Iona takes her story and tries to invite her into a much larger story mm -hmm. where the protagonist is is staying in a smaller story. And I don't say this in the in the allegory itself, John, but I came up with the name Mia because the initials are M-I-A. Yeah. And like a lot of us, she starts off missing in action. Yeah. She doesn't really know who she is. Mm -hmm. She doesn't really know the way forward. She feels like she's making a guest appearance in her own life. Mm -hmm. And so that was my way of kind of mm. as a creator defining Mia even by her name mm. is she's lost and she's trying to find her way now mm. in a larger story. I won't go into what the vials are because I don't want to spoil that for the reader. But ultimately, at each level, she learns something about who she is. She's on a search for her father, really. Yeah. And I don't mean in the allegory, it's not God the father, it's her earthly father. Yeah, who walked out on her life and she right. trying to find him. Yeah. And she believes he got lost in this other realm, other story. So she's on a search for her father, a lot like we're on a search for God the father. But in the allegory, it's her searching for her earthly father. And what I hope is readers will see she's journeying really from what I would call the orphan realm to the goal is to get to the freedom realm. Oh, gosh, she's such an orphan. I mean, her mindset, her posture, her approach to life is all based on scarcity. It's all based on you got to fight for anything you're going to get. It's, it's all up it's, to me. It's a great, great picture of the orphan mentality. 
And when you're in that orphan mentality, it's so hard to trust. It's so hard to even even understand, wait, there's another realm I could exist in? Yeah. Like, there's actually a whole nother way to interpret and to see life and to see what's truly going on. And so she's living as an orphan in terms of her and her earthly father, but also in terms of her and God, and also in terms of her and others even. Yeah. Because when you start trying to live in a small story, you don't really have a lot of space for others to come alongside you. Mm-hmm. There's a part in the story that I love later on where she meets this wild bohemian creative fellowship and there are people from all disciplines architects chefs storytellers musicians musicians, and just to go wow there is this fellowship available and and i'm actually invited to be part of this Uh, that was something i really wanted to let the readers know because in the section you were reading earlier i just want to return back to one thing there And it's talking about the heart, but in it I say, what if our deepest desires, the very things that make our heart come alive, actually serve as a source code that draws us to God? I believe God instills a unique set of interests and talents within each of us, knowing the more we pursue them, the more we encounter Him. God creates a world of wonder and then places a corresponding wonder in each of us. Imagine it, the very things in life that we're drawn to were made for us. His motive in giving you specific talents isn't primarily so you'll be productive. Here's your gift, now get busy making things happen. It is so your desires can find their fulfillment in Him. Productivity and efficiency aren't what He's most interested in. They measure the external performance, but never the internal rhythm of your heart. And gang, you, you just got to know, this is a man who's saying that out of personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> because, Alan, productivity, you were Mr. Productivity. Oh, that was the code I live by. I mean, your whole executive right. life, it was all based on numbers, sales goals, right? Right. And I can even now, looking back, name the literal day that I shifted in my heart to that way of living. And it was at the ad agency I was working at. I was there on a Saturday and my boss's boss's boss was there and he was working and he he saw me working. He didn't even really know my name, I don't think. But before he left that Saturday, he handed me a sealed envelope. When he first came in, he asked me if what I was doing. And I said, well, my dad's coming in later today to visit, but I just wanted to get all this work done. And so he sends me home with this sealed envelope and says, give this to your dad. Don't open it. Well, <laughs> I, I had no idea because w- he didn't even really know me. And so kind of with fear and trembling, I said, dad, um, the head of this group has this message he wanted me to give to you. And my dad said, what's it about? I don't know. And so my dad opens it with me there. It's handwritten. And I still have that letter today. And it says, I want you to be proud of your son because he's the kind of man who will work Saturdays, weekends, late nights to get things done. And that's the kind of man that will change the world. And when my dad read that, he lit up with, you know, he was of proud. Course, of course. And something in me said, yeah, I, 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 am, I can be, and I am that man. 
and I'll get it done. I'll work harder. I'll do more. And, and that will be how I make my mark on the world. And it, it felt really true and right in that moment. And John, from then, it was like a toxicity or a drug that unfortunately continued to work in the corporate world. Oh, you betcha. Promotions, larger responsibility. I was at a point where, and I mentioned this in the book, I tell a little bit of my own story in the first few pages. And I was the kind of man where this was pre-9-11, but there was a flight that I was going to be on with a creative team, and we were going to shoot an author video. And I got distracted. I was on a phone call. They load the flight. And I turn around, and everybody's on the plane. The plane's still on the runway, but the doors to board were closed. And the lady that worked there with the airline said, sorry, we gave your seat away. You missed the flight. No, no, no. The plane's still there. I just need to get on. Nope, you can't get on. It's already full. So she walks off. And there's a door that if you open the door, the alarm would go off, but it had a stairway down to the runway, and there was this small plane. And so I just waited for her to leave and pushed the door open, walked out. (laughs) I'm on the tarmac standing in front of the plane, just standing there staring at the plane and not really knowing what's going to happen next, but knowing I'm going to get on this plane. And thankfully, again, it was pre-9-11 or I would have been shot. Or you would (laughs) Would be dead. I'd be dead. Or in some federal penitentiary. Right. But in that moment, the pilot steps out, walks over to me. What's the problem? What's going on? Well, somebody took my seat. I need on this plane. And John, I was so sure that I was the guy that was going to make things happen that it worked. Like the pilot had the guy that they'd given my seat to escorted off. I get on the plane. Everybody on the plane, except for the video crew, is like, who is this jerk. Yeah. You know, they're delay he's delayed the flight. He he's standing yeah. in front of a plane. But I didn't even realize that. I just thought, man, yeah, I'm the guy that makes it happen. Yeah. And that was the trajectory of me living as an orphan, only as good as the next achievement, but the achievements kept happening and I kept pushing myself harder and further. And it took um, many years before that illusion of success and productivity crumbled. Yeah. What's fascinating is that you use that in the book on creativity. Um, You keep inviting people back to their story. You can't ignore your own story and hope to, A, connect with God, or be a creative person, chase your dreams, find his path for you. One of the things that makes Mia's story work is that it's based on small series of consent. She doesn't give a big yes, but she gives enough of a yes, right? And right. There's, there's several parts of that through the thing of like small steps of consent, which I just think is so true to our life with Jesus. You know, he doesn't necessarily ask for the entire thing all at once, but he's like, can you say yes to me here? Right. Can you say yes to me now? in this. Yes. Can you say yes now in this larger thing? And, you know, he brings us along, frankly, through a series of consent. Yes. So many have written off their desires of what they want to pursue and, and their creativity and things as a young boy or girl that they love doing as they've matured, they've kind of said, no, that's, that's really not practical. Or 
to do this, I have to conform to the way the industry says mm-hmm. things have to happen, mm-hmm. or there's no way this would work. And I think the enemy loves that because if he can shut down your intimacy with God as creator and co-creator, I mean, it's the first way God introduces himself to us is creator. And we lose that if yeah, we don't we do. pursue it. Yeah. And gang, we're not just talking about career. We're not just talking about, ooh, you get to change jobs. There's something much more deep here. I don't know if people have heard the story of how Sacred Romance got started, how I be, even became a writer. Um, Brent Curtis and I were doing a teaching series here in Colorado Springs in 1995 at Glen Erie, um, the Navigator headquarters and the beautiful retreat center there um, entitled The Sacred Romance. We were simply every Tuesday night sharing some thoughts about life with God and some things we were reading, life as uh, a romance with God, and that your heart matters, and what would it look like if you took your own story seriously and and faced some of the wounding, etc. We're sitting in a coffee shop uh, one morning, and Brent said, hey, you know what, John? People are really responding to this. I, I think we ought to write a book. Okay, you got to understand, it. at that moment, I have a full-time job. I am also in grad school, and I have three children. Life is, let's say, very full. <laughs> and I just looked at Brent, and I go, Brent, that's madness. So I said, I don't, I don't have time for that. And I got up and left the coffee shop, and I'm out in the parking lot. And I remember the moment I had this old uh, Jeep Wagoneer at the time. It was this aquamarine. It was just a really cool thing. But it still ha- required a key. You had to put a key in the door to open the door. So I'm, I'm opening the door, and all I hear Jesus say is, that was a really bad decision. Wow. And that's it. Nothing else. He did, He's gone. You know, it's just enough. It's, it's frankly a lot like Mia's story in the book. It's just enough that if you'll go with that, things could change, right? And I'm like, what? And I just knew he had just said to me, that's a really bad decision. And so I walked back in to the coffee shop and thankfully Brent was still sitting in there and I had no idea how it was gonna happen. This is absolute madness to add one more thing to my life. But I walked in and I said, okay, I'm in, Uh, I'm in, let's do it. Let's write this thing together. And it just a small step of consent. Yes. Right? Can, yes. Can open a door into an intimacy. And, and again, it's not, not talking about career, you know, and then your career will happen. But, well, then what happens is um, a story that you can live with God. And I think that's the whole point of what you're, what you're trying to invite people to here. So, if you have just jumped into the conversation here, this is part two of a series with Alan Arnold on our team about his new book, The Story of With a better way to live, love, and create. And you haven't heard this story, Alan, but uh, a couple weekends ago, a dear friend of the ministry had a heart attack. He's okay. Everything's okay. But Stace and I went up to visit him and uh, and check on his wife uh, in the hospital. And, you know, first it's, how are you? And how's everything? And everything was okay. And they were able to, you know, do what they needed to do for him. And and then the conversation shifted, and what he wanted to talk about was this book. He's like, I'm reading Alan's book, and oh my gosh, it's just it's blowing my mind, and it's opened so many categories. And I just thought, okay, how delightful. This guy is, he's in a hospital gown, which are not exactly flattering things. <laughs> right. And, and he, he's less than 24 hours from a heart attack, but what he's pumped about is the invitation 
to conversation with God, the invitation to life as a story, the invitation to creativity. And he's like, I even gave up reading. He's like, I love reading. Where, where did that go in my life? How did I let that go? Wow. And so it was this really cool moment of seeing the fruit already of this book in the world. If people are just hearing this message and going, well, I'm not, I wouldn't even consider myself creative. I invite you into the story because you will. You will see yourself that way in how you pursue your life, whether you're a housewife or whether you're at a Fortune 500 company or whether you're in college. God as creator gives all of us in our Mm -hmm. DNA. How could we not be creative Mm -hmm. when we're his sons and daughters? There's a quote in the book where I say, the world has grown cold. It needs warmth from the glow of those who have spent time with the creator. We don't just need more people doing creative things. If nobody ever wrote another book, we'd never get to them all. Or another TV show or another movie. What we do need are people who spend time with God in intimacy and in the right identity and then invite others to experience and taste and be part of that. Mm. And that's what I want to invite listeners into because when you spend time pursuing your dreams that way, you're never doing it alone. You're always there with God. Mm-hmm. And that's what the story of with is. And that's the invitation. Yeah. And so we wanted to let our listeners know about it. And this we're making this available, right? This is in Correct. our store. And- yes. It's available as a paperback book in the store. If people want an e-reader version of it, uh, that's on Amazon. Okay. So they can get that on Amazon. You've been listening to the Ransom Tar podcast, Alan Arnold and John Eldridge talking about the book, The Story of With.